I'm going to now just take some time unpacking something, a message from God's word, and it's called Why Plant Churches in the UK. Um, we're going to look at how at the first part tomorrow and who the second part of tomorrow. We're going to start just by looking at why plant churches in the UK. So if you've got a Bible with you, which I'm sure you have, let's turn together to the Gospel of John uh, and chapter one. And we're going to we're going to just we're going to start there. Uh, use it as a bit of a springboard just to, I guess, reflect upon church planting in its most simple and, uh, I guess, uh, basic kind of um, basic format. Try and keep things simple. I'm not I'm not too good at complicated. No about the rest of you guys. I'm better with simple. So um, let's turn to John chapter one. And we're going to read from verse 35 to 51. It says the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. They, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for that day. For it was about the 10th hour, about 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said, answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, as I speak from your words tonight and we look in different parts of scripture. Bring it alive in our hearts, I pray. Holy Spirit, bring it alive in our hearts, I pray. Do incredible things. Write things onto our hearts as we look at your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So why plant churches in the UK? Well, number one, it's what Jesus did. And I want us to just look at this story and look at church planting in its most basic form. Firstly, there's the preaching of Christ. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. Christ is pointed to, Christ is proclaimed, Christ is preached. This then leads to the next stage, which is interested people. We notice that as a result of John's preaching, two of his disciples begin seeking after Jesus. And something happens in their heart. They hear Christ proclaimed and they go, I want to know more about this Jesus. So they begin to seek after Jesus. And then they meet with Jesus. They meet with Jesus and they get to know him. I love this. It was 4 p.m. They stayed with him for the rest of the day. They spent time together. They stayed with him. They got to know Jesus. 
And then they went to call their brother, their friends, their oikos, their household, those connected to them, to come and meet with Jesus. And those people became worshippers too. Now let's just rehearse that again. Notice the simplicity of it. I just want you to try your best in this moment to disassemble um, your current notions of church planting. Not that they're all wrong by any means. I'm just trying to lay a really simple foundation. What does planting a church look like? Christ is proclaimed. As a result, some people find a particular interest growing in their heart, which makes them seek after Christ. They then find him. And he spends time with them and changes their lives. They then reach those in their lives with the message of Jesus. Jesus meets them and they become worshippers. And before you know it, there's a community formed around Jesus, which is what a church is. Now, there's plenty of other things associated, but I want us to just keep it simple in our minds. A church is a community of people centered around Jesus. There's other stuff you could say. Talk about elders, get our ecclesiology right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for now, at its most basic form, it's a community of people centered around Jesus. Now let's think about the Great Commission. Do you see, in Matthew, they're told to make disciples of all nations, teach and baptize. In Mark, they're told to preach the gospel to the whole of creation and the signs and wonders will follow. In Luke, they're told to proclaim forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. In John, they're breathed on by Jesus. They're told to receive the spirit. And Jesus says to them, as I've been sent by the Father, now I'm sending you. So as we bring these great commissions, these different records of it together, you've got different elements. You've got preaching. You've got teaching. You've got baptizing. You've got signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So they have been given this great commission. That's what they're living with. And then we read the book of Acts. And fascinatingly, Pretty much every time they work out this great commission, what is it resulting? Communities of people centered around Jesus. Not one of those great commissions says plant a church. You won't find it in Matthew. You won't find it in Mark. You won't find it in Luke. You won't find it in John. You'll find preach the gospel, teach, baptize, make disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet look at the way they interpret it. Look at what they do. They do all of those things, but look at what it always pretty much results in. There are exceptions, but exceptions tend to, uh, exceptions to the rule demonstrate the rule rather than demonstrate the exception. So one exception is the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, but give the guy a break. He's on his way home. Okay, he gets converted. Much of the Ethiopian church would point, would point their history back to him so we don't we don't know for sure but you know he may well have ended up doing exactly that but it's an isolated incident so of course there wasn't a church started on the desert road there and then but if you look at the rule throughout the new testament you will find time after time after time the gospel is proclaimed people are saved and communities are formed churches are planted why well because the apostles did what they what jesus had done with them it's exactly what jesus did and so they did the same thing. Now let's think about how a healthy church cycle may look. I just want to just pull these different ideas together. You see, because the church is the family of God. Well, how do families work? Well, in a family, what happens is, is that people give birth. People have babies. And then those babies are loved and then nurtured 
and they're trained. And then once they've been loved and nurtured and trained, nurtured and trained to a sufficient extent, they are then released for further multiplication. That's how families work. You are the result of that process, in case you were wondering, okay? On a natural biological level. Let's just think about that as a church, as a healthy church cycle. Winning people to Jesus, people are born again, babies. They're then nurtured, they're loved, they're trained, they're taught how to follow Christ. They're taught how to do life in the kingdom. They're taught how to be in Christian community. And then as they learn that, and as that grows in their heart more and more and more, they're then ready to go and reproduce the same. Now, what I'm not saying is this, that every convert will in and of themselves become, a, become involved in the church plant. Some of them, they may actually, that God's calling on their life may be to be committed to that particular congregation and raise up and nurture others through. But as a picture of a healthy church, not an exceptional church, not an unusual church, a healthy church, is that it's bringing people through, nurturing them. Why? So that they may go and see another family started. And one of the things we're going to try and do over this conference and over this season is to normalize church planting, where it's not just certain special churches that get to do it or those with a calling from God, but that actually that reproduction is the most natural thing in the world and that we are the family of God. And so it's the most natural thing in the world for us. Now, there's something unique about the church. You see, an evangelistic mission, as good as it might be, cannot do that. Why? Because it's concerned with one thing. It's concerned with winning the lost. Then what? And so it's not the body of Christ. You might describe it as the feet of Christ. A prophetic movement, a prophetic something or the other, a prophetic gathering can't do that. Why? It's not the body of Christ. Probably the eyes of Christ. The body of Christ, the church, has everything about it to be able to see people saved, nurtured, taught, developed, prepared, prophesied over, sent. Because a healthy church has input from apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, meaning that the church itself becomes apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, and really great at teaching and preaching. This is the vision of New Testament church, multiplying church. There's a simplicity about the church that we need to recapture and understand so that we don't get bogged down in complexity. So I'm trying to answer the question today, why plant churches in the UK? This is the first half, and really what I'm saying is why plant churches? <laughs> I'm saying it's because what they, it is how they worked out the Great Commission in the Bible. It's what the Great Commission led to, communities centered around Jesus. It's our pattern, it's our model. Not only that, the way the church has been set up means the church is the only organism that can do the full job. This is the family of God, the body of Christ. It has all those various gifts at work. It's not just one element. And so we need to get a really good grasp. And part of preparing to plant is really getting a solid sense of, oh, wow, I get it. This is the church. This is, this is why Jesus said, to the community gathered around him, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. This is why he said that to them, because he's saying, listen, what, you, what I am putting in you and what you are becoming has this extraordinary ability to shine out in this way and do this unique thing. So we've got to have a really good grasp of 
our New Testament church and the pattern that we're after, multiplying church, reproducing church, not just certain special churches that are involved in this thing. But now I also just want to spend time thinking about, okay, so but why the UK for the second half? I mean, Gordon's set us up really well for that. The UK is a fascinating place, got fascinating history. And I, I, I'm quite good on history, but I'm, I can't give you the exact dates, but I would say for sure from the 11th century onwards, so for sure the last 1,000 years uh, or so, um, the UK has been one of the most evangelistically reached and gospel-shaped nations in the whole world. And the influence of the UK in the whole world in terms of the gospel has been extraordinary. Some of the most remarkable saints that have impacted the nation after nation have come from our tiny little country. It's really quite amazing. However, I want to just read to you a few fascinating and very short scriptures. The first one is Judges 2 verse 10. So you can turn there if you like, but they're just very short ones. I want to just give you a sense of something. Judges um, chapter 2 verse 10 says this. It says, um, speaking about a particular generation, it says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So there was a generation that, that had been gathered to God. They were gathered, but they hadn't passed on. There hadn't been a passing on of the baton. This generation that came up after them, they didn't know the Lord. Or what he had done. They were unversed. They hadn't been immersed in the narrative of what God had done, which would have given them the foundation to begin to inquire about and come to know the Lord. They, they were a godless generation. If you then go to Psalm 145 and verse 4, you begin to see what, what God expects to happen. One of the main ways that um, spiritual health is maintained somewhere, it says that one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And so it's the way that this thing, one of the main instruments that God uses in, 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 in reaching people is that the generation passes on to the next generation. Um, and when that, when that doesn't happen, terrible things follow. And um, I think it's pretty clear in our nation no matter our history and the amazing things that God has done, the wonderful revivals that have happened that we can point to in our nation. The, the reality is that probably the post-war generation um, has very, very proactively turned in a different direction from the Lord. And uh, as a result, we are now at a very low ebb, some of the um, spiritually, even though we thank God for, the, for what he's doing among various new church expressions, Actually, the nation as a whole is at a very low end spiritually. I think to pretend otherwise would just be exactly that, pretending. Uh, what we're not going to do is be triumphalistic on, on this weekend. We'll be really sober. Bible says be sober-minded. Um, the, 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 narrative, the biblical narrative, the story of God, and the associated moral framework that comes with it are essentially unknown in the nation. So, so, so it's not even as if there's, so, you know, a few decades ago, when someone did wrong, they knew it. Because there was a, there was a, an agreed 
moral framework that is will always be there to some degree because the bible says the works of the law are written in our hearts there is the conscience there is that element but the more you are surrounded by a, a godless value system the more your conscience gets seared and the more you don't you don't you just you just you you don't even realize in the same way so there's not even any guilt there we are heading towards that and towards a celebration of things that god hates that's the reality of, of where the uk is at the moment um in fact some some secular historians would even look at our our nation and the west in general and say it's actually showing signs of what often happens at the beginning of a cultural collapse where the decadence and the um perversions and 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 the dis and the confusion and the breakdown of agreed norms becomes so uh, pervasive that it often actually signals the beginning of a, of a complete collapse. It's a sober picture that we've got in the UK. Now, so what when it comes to church planting? Well, the implications are huge, absolutely huge. When we used to plant churches decades ago, here's what there would be in towns, in villages, in cities around the nation, there would be Christians in dire and dying churches longing and waiting for something alive to come into their town, city or village. And when a church like ours came along, they, they were quickly joined. And so what, what you found was, was that there were these Christians waiting for something. Um, and so much of our church planting success has been built on good believers joining because they couldn't find a good church anywhere. Um, they, were, they were there, they existed in big numbers in towns, cities and villages. Um, we are coming to the end of that season. And so what it means is, is that we have to completely readjust our binoculars and un understand really soberly that church planting now is about the re-evangelization of the UK. That's what it's about. It's absolute soul winning, gospel preaching, learning how to do that is the only way you're going to plant the church. You won't just be able to turn up, put up your banner and pick up all the dissatisfied and disgruntled Christians. And by the way, that brings a whole lot of other problems with it anyway, but we won't go there now. But it's just, different. It's just a different situation now. But like Gordon said, it's an incredible opportunity. And I think it will get us back to church planting Bible style. Let me read to you what the apostles were accused of. This is one of my favourite and most challenging verses in the whole Bible as we begin to come into land now. Here's what the uh, apostles were accused of in Acts chapter 5, verse 28. The, the uh, high priest questioned them and said this to them. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Wow. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Everywhere we go, people are talking about Jesus because of what you've been doing. What a charge. <laughs> what an extraordinary thing to be charged with. You filled the place with this gospel, with this good news. And uh, obviously they are, they're compelled to be quiet. Uh, and they answer them, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. It's a matter of obedience, not legalistic, cold obedience. The obedience of faith, where we believe this gospel, 
and we believe this gospel is the way to salvation. And we believe that, how, we, we believe, as the Bible says, that if they're going to believe, they have to hear. And so there's something that is going to have to grow in us of a Holy Spirit burden and fire to find however we can that we share the good news. And God will gift us in different ways, so stylistically, it'll all look different for different ones of us. But nevertheless, essentially, what's happening is the same thing. Jesus is being spoken about. He's being pointed towards, which is how churches genuinely begin. We're at a paradigm shifting moment. I do, I really do believe that. I don't think anymore we can just get away with sending someone or some people somewhere and just kind of, um, you know, gathering up a few Christians and calling that success. You know, and, and you know, you know what? I'll be honest with you. Essentially, that's that's how we went from 12 to 100 people. So I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone. I'm not being judgmental. That is how we in our church went from 12 adults to 100 adults. Okay? Good people joining that we look to make disciples of. But I tell you, it really does come with its challenges because five years in, we said to ourselves, if we sort of shut up shop and went home, would anyone know in the area? Yeah, to ask ourselves provocative questions like that and say, listen, how are we going to really get into the soil of this place so that in the next five years, the church really does reflect the soil of the place and is made up of converts as well as us who, 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 who are part of the soil of this place. It's an immense, it's an immense challenge. I, you know, and I'm, I'm not an expert, but I do feel in my spirit uh, that I need to ring the bell. I need to say, guys, this is what it is. This is what it is. And, you know, we may not all be evangelists, but we can all be witnesses. They're different things. An evangelist will equip the church in evangelism. And there's a big strong hint in there that we are all called to evangelism, to witness, though we're not all called to equip other people as evangelists, but to witness to Christ, to, to find ways of, it's basically a mixture, isn't it, of, of, of the power of the Holy Spirit and then also the, the Holy Spirit expressing itself through who you are. So you're doing it in a way that's true to yourself. But people are here in the name Jesus. I'm going to end by this. Our, our goal of, you know, 100 churches in the next 20 years, it can sound absolutely huge. But here's the thing. We've currently, like I said earlier, got about 40 churches and plants in the UK. If each of our churches and plants sent at least two people to start something new every five years, Every five years, sent a pioneering two people that Jesus had given two, two by two. It can be a married couple. It doesn't have to be a married couple at all. But two by two is minimum two. One, one is vulnerable. Minimum two. Okay. Up to however many, depending on what model you're going to do. We'll hear about that tomorrow. But in every one of our churches and church plants, every five years, sent a minimum of two to a new place, supported them in that pioneering work, equipped them. Do you know what? By the year 2040, we would have 640 churches. It wouldn't be 100, it wouldn't be 200, 300, it would be 640. But it, there's a paradigm shift needed where all of us go, do you know what, we're owners. This, we, we refuse this to be just for the specialists, just for the experts. This is, there is one way or another, this is, this is a charge on all of us, you know, to either go, or to be very active in supporting and resourcing and equipping those who go. It's an absolute charge on us. And I just want to ring that bell uncompromisingly over this weekend 
and look to gather us up into that. And so we believe that this is the beginning of something. But as ever, it always starts in prayer. And so we are, we, we, I mean, just to say as well, 641 won't scratch the surface. Hallelujah and praise God for the wider body of Christ. We're going to play our part. We're going to contribute our bit. But we absolutely honour, applaud and cheer on every gospel preaching, Jesus loving, Bible believing church out there. We are totally um, arm in arm and, and heart to heart on that. If, but this is about us over this weekend learning how to play our part and that's where our focus will be i'm going to read you a scripture a very well known uh, scripture from 2 chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 you'd have heard this before if you've been a christian a while if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land Let's pray for our land. 